chapter 3, the whole of chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he has foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, 
and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of God. Well, thank you very much indeed, Ian. Let's uh, please have our Bibles open at that passage. And uh, just to say that um, I'm so grateful for the team that went out to do street evangelism yesterday. I know for most of us it sounds like an absolutely terrifying thing to do. Um, But as I was sitting here huddled under a heater recovering from flu and praying, when the guys came back, it was so interesting to hear the stories. And there was a consistent theme of both ignorance about the gospel but openness to it. And uh, the next Saturday we're going to be going out is on the 24th. Do please pray about whether you'd like to be part of it. Well, let's, um, let's pray and let's ask for the Lord to open up this passage to our hearts and minds. Our loving Father, we thank you that you do for us that which we are not able to do for ourselves in bringing us salvation and blessing after blessing. We pray today that in your kindness and power, you would give us one more blessing of understanding this part of your word, being convinced and comforted and living in the light of it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've had a difficult week, and I know that some of you have had a difficult week, um, I do hope that uh, this chapter in God's word brings comfort to you. Life is not easy, I think, for many people at the moment, but Acts chapter 3 has got something really important to say to us, and I hope it'll strengthen you this morning. Now, what we've seen in our series so far is Jesus promising the Holy Spirit back in Acts chapter 1. And then the coming, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2 when thousands of people were transformed. 
Then at the end of chapter 2 and in verse 43, if you'd like to look at it, we read these very interesting words. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, if Luke is writing the history of the early church, you would expect Luke, wouldn't you, I think, to give us tons of examples. Uh, If you were writing the account of the early church and there had been many wonders and signs, you'd probably write quite a number of them down. Luke gives us only one. It's the miracle recorded here in chapter 3. Why? Why does he give us just one? Well, of course, he wants to show us that Jesus is still active on his throne in the world. But I think the reason that he picks this particular sign is to give us um, a picture of what lies in store for all God's people, all believers. Because we're all moving to a day in the future when just as this man was made whole we also will be perfectly made whole. So this miracle, I think, is a signpost. It's a preview. It's an example. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 35, uh, we're told that there would come a day when we would see God's glory. And Isaiah 35 says that in that day, the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. They'll enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Now, of course, there was a little taste of that, wasn't there, in the earthly ministry of Jesus through his miracles Uh, Those miracles were also signposts pointing to a much greater fulfillment in the future. And, of course, they proved his power to deliver it. And now, again in Acts 3, he proves it, but this time through the apostles. Now, uh, we know from Acts 2 and the sermon on the day of Pentecost that there are immediate blessings If you turn to Jesus, you receive forgiveness and you receive the Holy Spirit. Those are wonderful, wonderful blessings Uh, to be able to walk through this world knowing your sins are forgiven, uh, that you're in right relationship with God and you always will be, and that he sees you through the righteousness of Christ and that he's consistently loving in his attitude towards you. Those are amazing things, and we need to keep preaching them to ourselves and to one another. And then, of course, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, uh, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. These are precious and immediate blessings. But if you want to know whether to expect ultimate blessings... Well, you need to look at the man in Acts chapter 3. He walks, he's made whole, he leaps, he praises God, and he's a picture of the future awaiting all 
believers. Now, what I want to do this morning is to follow the chapter in four very simple steps. Uh, I want to look with you first at this picture of restoration, which is the man being made well. Then we're going to look at the person who does the restoration, the powerful restorer. We need to get that clear in our minds. And then I want to talk about the path to your restoration. Because Acts chapter 3 isn't simply history. This can be your future. And finally, I want us to see from the chapter the promises that lie behind the restoration. So let's start with the picture of restoration. Now, if you want to know why I'm making a big deal about this word restoration, it's because it's there in verse 21. In verse 21, uh, Peter says Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So Peter's reminding us that there is going to be a great day of restorations, what God's going to do in the future. The healing of this man is a picture of that. The story is straightforward. The two apostles go to the temple. They see the lame man. The lame man wants money. And the apostles command the man in the name of Jesus to walk, and he does. Just as an aside, it's rather interesting, I think, that Peter and John have no money. Uh, We were told, weren't we, back in chapter 2, that everyone in the church pooled their resources. They brought it all to the apostles. But as Peter and John walk into the temple, they've got no money. If they did have any money, would they have given it to the lame man? Well, maybe. But they want to give him something far better. Money, as we know, helps us deal with some of life's problems. And as a church, we need to be both generous and wise in the way we use our money. But if you had the choice between being able to help someone manage an immediate problem or to solve their greatest problem, which one would you choose? Well, the apostles are opting for the solution. So they say to him, in the name of Jesus, walk. Now, we need to be careful here because those apostles had a unique choice to make. I guess they could have promised him some money or they could give him healing. They choose the healing. And, of course, because they heal him, the lame man isn't going to have to beg anymore. Now, we're not apostles. We have a different choice to make. We're not miracle workers. Yes, we can help people with their needs in this world, and that is a good thing for us to be doing. But, of course, this world is where it finishes. Or we can help people being mindful of the next world, because we believe as Christian people, in the next world. And of course, we don't do that, do we, as often as we could. But on the last day, I, for one, don't want people saying to me, why did you give me bread when you knew perfectly well that what I needed most was the bread of life? 
uh, people regularly ring our doorbell at home. They may ring your doorbell at home as well, and they're always asking for money. If I'm feeling brave, I will probably say, yes, I'll give you some money. But there aren't many people around here who are investing for eternity, and I want to invest in people for their eternity. And then I might point them to a church somewhere near where they live. So, friends, if I have to make a choice between giving, let's say, to Amnesty International and Open Doors, I will choose Open Doors because the gospel is built in. Or if I have to choose between Oxfam and Hope Prison Ministries, I'll choose Hope Prison Ministries because I know that the gospel is built into what they're doing. So, the apostles set the example, which, of course, they've picked up from Jesus, which is to choose what will last. And you'll notice that when they've healed the man, they then preach the gospel to everybody so that everybody has the opportunity to choose eternal life. Why is this a wise thing for them to be doing? Uh, One writer, I think, puts this extremely well. He's an Irish commentator called David Gooding. And he says this, quote, Though all the Christians in the world gave all their cash and worked their knuckles to the bone in the relief of suffering, it could never be the final answer. And as far as the outside world is concerned, if all the Christian gospel could say in the face of the world's pain was that we ought to act the Good Samaritan and do our best to help each other, our gospel would, in the end, deserve not the world's gratitude, but its pity, if not its contempt. Christianity would need to have a better answer than that if it is to speak credibly in the name of an all-powerful and all-loving creator. And, of course, it has such an answer. End quote. So now Peter and John can speak to this particular man and they can make him well. And of course we read that and the question in our minds is, well, why don't you go and speak to more people? Why don't you go through the towns and the cities and speak to everybody? And friends, I do hope that you know the answer to that question, which is that a healthy but godless world where people are well but perishing is actually an eternal catastrophe. And Peter and John want people in the kingdom, and this miracle is a signpost to the kingdom. It's a signpost of restoration. And it's a signpost of restoration because this man never walked before. Uh, In the original language, the text says he was lame from the womb. In other words, he came into this world without legs that worked. And now all of a sudden he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. It's an unbelievable miracle. So this is not, um, I'll give you some legs and now we'll have physiotherapy and we'll teach you to walk. No, this is the whole package in an instant. Muscle tissue has appeared from nowhere. The brain 
that has never before worked with the legs is now working with the legs. And uh, this man is not just standing. No, he's walking and he's leaping. And Luke repeats that. Doesn't want us to miss it. It's a stunning miracle. So that's the picture of restoration. It's a little preview. If you want to know what glory is going to look like, it's going to be a place where God's people are walking and leaping and praising him. Great picture of what that's going to be. Now the second thing in Acts 3 is the person who does the restoration, if you like, the powerful restorer. Now don't miss this. Uh, It would have been very easy, wouldn't it, for Peter and John to take the credit. Uh, Jesus isn't visible. Uh, They're very visible. It would been very tempting, wouldn't it, for them to take the glory and say, just look at what we can do. Uh, Take us seriously. Respect us. Don't mistreat us. We're apostles. But look at verse 12. Peter says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? How ridiculous. Effectively, Peter's saying we're incompetent. We couldn't do this even if we wanted to. We're unworthy. We couldn't do it if our lives depended on it. No, says Peter, it's not us. This is the work of Jesus, verse 13. I think we need to think about this because we're living in a day, aren't we, where people will credit a blessing they've received to another person, maybe to a pastor or to a counsellor. And when that happens, I think it's important that we say to these people, you've got to look past that person to Jesus because Jesus is the source of the blessing. Robert Murray McShane was a very saintly Scottish pastor uh, living in the 1800s. He was greatly loved by everybody in his church. He greatly loved them. He, He died at the age of only 29. But in one of his sermons, he said this, a minister or a pastor will make a poor savior in the day of wrath. It is not knowing a minister or loving one or hearing one that will save you. You need to have your hand on the head of the Lamb of God for yourselves. So that's what Peter's doing here. Not only do the crowd uh, need to do business with Jesus, they need to do totally new business with Jesus because they've treated him abominably. Now they need to glorify him because God has glorified him. Do you see that, verse 13? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers who you worshipped, has glorified his servant Jesus who you mistreated. Peter's showing tremendous courage here. Of course, Peter himself had denied Jesus. He'd been restored, but now he turns to his fellow Israelites. And on two occasions, he says, you denied Jesus, 
And he says to the crowd, you had him arrested. You pushed really hard for his execution. When Pilate was wavering and thinking he might release him, you raised your voices and said, no, we want him executed. And you even said, we'll have a murderer released instead. I want to remind us, in case you've forgotten, friends, that this rebellion against Jesus in the first century was a human rebellion. It wasn't just a Jewish national rebellion. The Jewish people of that day, as part of the human race, are indicating to you and to me this morning what we are capable of if our own opposition to Jesus is allowed free reign. We want Jesus out of the way because we find him inconvenient. This is how far you and I will go. That's a great shock for these Israelites because not only has God honoured Jesus, who they've dishonoured, but the person they killed has just given this man in Acts chapter 3 new life. Jesus, says Peter, is alive. He's raised. You made a tragic decision about him. You disowned the holy and righteous one. What a mistake. And you killed the author of life, verse 15. God has totally reversed the situation. And we apostles have seen him raised. We've heard him. We've felt him. And when we appealed to Jesus in heaven to do something for this man, he did it. I just love the way that these apostles are absolutely determined that Jesus gets the credit. Uh, It's a work of God's spirit, I think, that we might care that Jesus be honoured. And here the situation is that the crowd want to bypass Jesus and praise the apostles but Peter wants them to bypass the apostles and praise Jesus because the person behind the transformation of the man at the beautiful gate is Jesus. He's the powerful restorer. Well, thirdly, let's go to the path to restoration and here we're looking at verses 17 to 21. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in the crowd listening to Peter. And he says, not only do I want you to know that Jesus did the healing, but I want you to be restored yourself, not because you're lame, but because you need new life. That's what Peter's saying. So a friend of mine uh, tells a story of a time when he'd been playing in a rugby match at school. And uh, in the evening, he and his teammates went to a party. And uh, one of the young men on the team hobbled in. Uh, He looked to be in some distress. It looked like he'd been injured in the match. And uh, his leg looked really, really badly swollen. So he sat down and he put his leg up on a chair. And, uh, of course, all the girls immediately swarmed around him. And all the other guys in the team, they were rather miffed about that. They didn't like it very much. 
And my friend says that at the end of the evening, when it was time to go, as soon as they got outside, the boy sat down on the grass, peeled off 15 layers of socks and said, I'll race you home, and he ran off. Now, I tell you that because most people today seem to think that if you just remove one or two difficulties, that what's underneath is perfectly fine. That's what they think, isn't it? But what Peter is saying to the crowd is, I want you to understand that you need to be inwardly changed. Deep down, you need to be healed yourself. Because behind the superficial problems on the surface that all of us can see, there's not wholeness and life. No, there isn't. Behind those surface layers, there is death. And you need to be reborn. So, verse 17, speaking to the crowd and to the lame man, and to you and me this morning, Peter says, the crucifixion of Jesus was a great evil. But, verse 18, God planned it. But this is how God foretold, sorry, fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. So he used the sinful actions of people to achieve precisely what he wanted to happen, which was his son paying for sin. So, says Peter, uh, you may be very rebellious, you might even be ignorant, but now, verse 19... It's time for you to repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out and that times of refreshing, I love that phrase, might come from the Lord. And some of you know, most of you know, this word repent is super important because it means to utterly surrender. You know, why is it, why is it that so many people never actually start the Christian life. It's because they don't repent. Somewhere in their heads, they want peace with God. The truth is, they've got a gun in each hand, and they won't drop their weapons. But my dear friend, if you're going to have peace with God, if you're going to take hold of Christ you are going to have to drop your weapons, all of them. You're going to have to utterly surrender to him. Can't play with him. Please don't think you can fool God because you can't. So if your heart is uh, rather like a home that you are renting from God, when you repent, what you're basically doing is you're opening all of the doors and you're saying to him, I am yours. There are no secret rooms, there are no secret cupboards, there are no secret drawers, I am yours. And when we do that 100% surrender, he comes in with 100% forgiveness and fellowship. How does Peter put it? He says, your sins will be wiped away. In other words, they'll be deleted. 
Jesus presses the delete button on all your sins, past, present, and future. And he brings refreshing, such a lovely word. It's actually a way of describing the Holy Spirit, the new life the Holy Spirit brings, and he will make you new. And those, friends, are immediate blessings. When you kneel down before Christ and you open yourself unreservedly to him as king and saviour, he brings you 100% forgiveness and 100% fellowship. And then in the end, verse 21, when Christ comes, when he returns, you will find yourself in his presence and in the ultimate restoration that will take place on that day. But let me warn you this morning that you cannot have a miniature Jesus, like a little statue who perhaps sits on a tray in a room in your house, because Jesus owns you. It's not the other way around. You'll notice that Peter, after the healing of this man, doesn't say, bring all the sick and we'll heal them. You might expect him to say that. He doesn't say that. He says, this healing is to tell you to repent and be forgiven. And that brings us to the fourth and final thing this morning, which is the promises behind God's restoration. I think probably these are the most exciting verses in the chapter. And uh, the genius of these verses, and I hope you're going to be encouraged by this, is that he's driving home the fact that you are living on a timeline that has got a very long history behind it. You know, behind you this morning are all the promises of God. Look with me again at verse 22. Peter says to the crowd... 1,200 years before Jesus, Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off among his people. All the prophets since have been saying the same thing. Go back even further, verse 25, and you'll see that when God spoke to Abraham 2,000 years ago, i.e. 2,000 years previous, God promised that one of Abraham's descendants would bring God's restoration. Now, can I ask you this morning, do you sometimes lose God's perspective? Do you sometimes think about your Christian life as a bit of a flash in the pan? Well, if you do, perhaps you could try thinking about it like this. Uh, imagine that you've boarded the Christian train. Uh, you've said, I'm trusting Christ, uh, but I'm not really sure whether this is going to work. And uh, you say to yourself, well, I haven't gone very far, haven't seen very much, I feel as though I'm a bit stuck in a station, don't seem to be making any progress and Peter says, I want you to know that the train that you have boarded has already been traveling for 4,000 years. 
you've joined a train that goes 2,000 years back to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of 2,000 years of promises before Jesus ever came into the world. So, if I can put this in a friendly way, you and I don't have the luxury of insulting the Christian message. God chose a particular nation, Israel, who are unique, made masses of promises through them, which he's used to spread the gospel of Christ around the world. And you and I have boarded the train when it's already a very long way into its journey. And there's actually only one more station to come, which is the day that Christ returns. And you and I ought to be looking back and saying, this is actually miraculous. This is amazing. The promises about the restoration are already being wonderfully fulfilled. So, my dear friend, whatever's in your heart this morning, don't abandon Christ. You've got so many promises behind you. And the best part of the fulfillment is still to come. And if you're becoming spiritually careless and you're feeling tempted to leap off the train, I want to urge you this morning not to turn your back on Jesus Christ. Feed yourself with the truth. Get the truth out to other people. Come on Saturday the 24th for our next street evangelism. Many people out there think they don't want the gospel. We know that. But I'll tell you what we also know. We also know that they have absolutely nothing to put in its place. And if you're weary on the journey, and if you feel that the best things have already been taken away from you, and if you wish you could just have the past back and restore the past, and you can only be happy if you can have the past, let me assure you this morning that all the longings that God has put into you can't be satisfied in the past. It's only going to be satisfied in the future. And the destiny, the destiny that he's prepared for you is where all of your longings are going to be perfectly and permanently satisfied because Christ has come to bring restoration. He's promised it and he's proved it. And that's why the old hymn says, pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous picture of restoration. We thank you for the person of Christ behind it. We thank you for the path to our own restoration. We thank you for the promises that point us to a complete restoration. 
We ask that you would help us to keep walking by faith and not give up. We ask that you would strengthen us to be your witnesses in a very needy world. We ask that you would refresh and encourage those who are weary in the walk. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.